This podcast is brought to you by The City Church in Mississauga, Ontario. For more information, please visit thecitychurch.ca. We hope you are encouraged by this message from our lead pastor, Frank Coulter. That Jesus is our life mentor. He is not our religion mentor. He's teaching us about life, how to live life, how to experience life, the God kind of life, and just to look at a bunch of different things. And I've really enjoyed this series. And, you know, as I started out this series, as I kept going on and on, I thought, man, we could have actually done this the whole year. We could have just gone through Jesus' teaching and we could have done it 52 weeks. But we will uh, finish and then we're going to have Mother's Day next week. My wife and I are actually going to speak next week. She's going to do most of the speaking. I'm just going to sit there and be with her. Uh, But we're going to have a great time next Sunday on Mother's Day. So if you have your Bibles this morning, let's turn over to John chapter 2, and I'll get there in a second. I just want to remind you a little bit about what we've talked about in this series as we have finished, as we're finishing up. If you missed any of these messages, they're all available on our website or on our podcast for free. And we've looked at the idea of Jesus wants to plant uh, the seed of God's word into our hearts. We talked about Christ who heals. We talked about unforgiveness. We talked about worry. We talked about this idea that Jesus wants us to be famous for love. And then last week we talked about sacrifice or carrying our cross. Now I know at the beginning of my message last week, you know, I kind of said, you know, this is going to be really, really hard and, and it was going to be some tough things. And then afterwards people were like, you should have hit us harder. Um, <laughs> it was like Rocky, you know, saying to Mr. T in Rocky 3, hit me harder, hit me harder. Anybody seen Rocky Three? Best Rocky movie in the seven? There's been seven, six, I forget. Anyway, uh, we're not going to hit you hard this week. Um, last week we talked about sacrifice, and today we're going to be talking about celebration. Now, a little bit what we've done in this series, as we've looked at Jesus' teaching, we've seen a bunch of different things. And, and as we look at Jesus, we know from from the scripture that the gospels, the, the scriptures, the New Testament teaches us that Jesus is the express will of God. Our greatest understanding about who God is, is by looking at the life and ministry of Jesus, his teaching. How do we know what God is like? We look at Jesus. And then when we see the epistles, we see that in the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the epistles now, uh, the letters to the church and individuals are, and are commenting on the life of Jesus, how to live out this life of Christ, how to live out uh, the life of following Jesus. So we're looking at these different things of Jesus, these g- different aspects of God's character. And it, it's good to understand that. It's good to see these different nuances of God and who God is. Because sometimes, depending on your background or uh, your approach to church, or just maybe if you're brand new to church, you just might have one thought about God. But if we think about who God is, that God is infinite, that God isn't just one thing, that the aspect of God's character and his goodness isn't just one thing. I mean, our minds maybe can only understand a certain portion of who God is and his character, but since God is infinite, it's important for us to know that as we go forward in our journey of faith, we will understand more and more about who God is, and you're never going to reach the limit of that the totality of your life. You won't get to the end of your life and you'll be like, I've got God all figured out. I understand everything about God and about life. That God is infinite. We are finite. But the good news about that is that we can continue to grow, that we can continue to understand 
who God is. And when we understand about who he is, we can understand how he thinks about us and how he wants us to think about him and then how he wants us to think about life and how he wants us to live our lives. And it, it is just a wonderful life journey growing in these areas. So we, as we look in the Gospels, we get a balanced view of who God is. And, and one of the greatest things that I would say as we look at um, Jesus' life, we call Jesus our Lord and our Savior. And the last week we focused on the Lordship part. In other words, submitting our life to God, submitting our life to Jesus, having him be the king of our lives, removing ourselves from the throne, putting God there, putting Jesus there. The Lordship side, following after, being obedient, following the word of God. And that's a big part of who God is. And then the other part, Lord and Savior. Two wonderful things that, prevent, that uh, present to us um, a tremendous balanced picture of our relationship with God. Yes, God wants to be at the throne of our lives. But yes, he also wants to save us. He wants to bless us. He wants to be our heavenly father. What do good fathers do? They take care of their family. They take care of their children the same way with God the Father. He wants to take care of you. He wants to bless you. He wants to heal you. He wants to forgive you. He wants you to experience his goodness. And there's tremendous balance in those two things. And, you know, as I've told you many times, I've grown up in church, and, and, and you can get overbalanced on either side. If you just go on the lordship side, you can get, you know super strict and super full of the law and super scared of God and, and, and nervous and you want other people to be nervous. And then the other ditch would be you're all just about God's blessings. You're just all about receiving from God and getting stuff from God. And I, I'm going to receive this from God. I'm going to get this from God. And those two things are true. But when we do do all of this receiving, we do understand how God wants to bless us. When we submit all of that to the Lordship of God, then we are going to use all of those blessings for a purpose submitted to God, submitted to who he is and what he wants me to do with all of the blessings that he pours out on us. Because if we have no purpose for those things, if they're just blessings for blessings sake, and we don't ever submit them to the lordship of God, we're never going to use them for his purposes. Can you see that? Can you see how that's an important balance? So today, last week we talked about lordship carrying our cross. Today we're going to look at um, a measure, a little portion of um, God as our Savior, Jesus as our Savior. And we're going to talk a little bit today about celebration. I have a question for you today. Are you enjoying life? Do you enjoy breathing? Do you enjoy the people around you? Do you enjoy God's creation? <sighs> Some people think I'm setting you up for like, no, you shouldn't. <laughs> And part of, as we look at some of this teaching today, it, as we look at some of the character of God, it will help us to understand how God wants us to be blessed and to understand his blessings and then how he thinks about us and then how we should think about him. So God wants us um, to enjoy life, I would say. God wants us to enjoy all that he's given to us. Now, I know my wife and I, when we went on our honeymoon 22 years ago now, we went to Hawaii, and one of the great experiences that we had was, or I had, my wife didn't like it so much, snorkeling. That when you go to Hawaii, if you ever go to Hawaii, you need to go snorkeling. 
And part of the amazing part of going snorkeling in Hawaii is all of the fish that are just right there at the shore and, and around the reefs and all the different rock formations in Hawaii. And it is a kaleidoscope of colors. It's just yellows and reds and green. Like just an, it's like a rainbow um, you know, under the ocean. And if we think about God's creation, we, if we think about um, all of the things that God has put here on the earth, does it tell us anything about who God is? Because if we, if we were to look at, you know, some Christians and some Christians that I grew up with, um, if they were advising God on creation, it would have been like black and white and hues of gray. That everything had to be just so, that everything had to be kind of boring, that everything had to be just, you know, we can't enjoy life too much, we've we got to be careful if we're enjoying all these things, and we don't want to, you know, we don't want to have flashy colors, and we don't want to, um, you know, have all these different things, and just life just needs to be really boring and really sad, and if you... Um, can maybe remember some Christians you grew up with, or maybe if you're, if you're not a Christian and sometimes looking into the church, you might think, you know, Christians are just kind of boring people, and they're just kind of like not interested in having any fun, and they're just, you know, just kind of staid and boring. And, and you know, sometimes people don't like uh, that we have colors on our stage, and you know that God created blue, we didn't. Do you get that? Like, we didn't think out blue, God created blue, so it's okay for us to be like, hey, God created blue, and we can have blue on our stage. Well, why do, we, why, do we, why do we need lights? Why do we need color lights? Pastor Brian in the church. <laughs> now, I could just go for hours right now, just on that one statement, I could just go for hours. But why do we need lights? Well, I think God created blue. Why can't we enjoy it? Why did God create those fish with colors? Why, we're coming into spring, and, and we're going to see some wonderful flowers. Why didn't God just have one color of flower? Isn't all the rest just excess? Why can't we just have red roses? And red is enough. Isn't red enough? Why blues and pinks and hues of green and all these, like all, every color that you could think of that God created flowers of every different color why did god do that does he want us to enjoy those things or did he create those things and we're just supposed to look away we shouldn't actually look at things and see the beauty of life see the beauty of life now i know that you all love life and how i know that you love life is that Anytime there's new people coming alive, you're excited about it. Have you ever seen somebody and then, hey, did you hear so-and-so is pregnant? Did you ever see somebody going, eh? <laughs> new people, who needs them? <laughs> we don't need another person. They're kind of boring anyway, you know. They're kind of just going to look like you anyway. <laughs> so we don't need another one. No, people don't say that. They're like, what? You're pregnant? You're going to have another person? We love people. We love people. We, you love people. How do I know you love people? Because every time one of the people that you know 
It's coming up to the day they were born. You're celebrating it. You're like, I am so glad you were born. That every year I'm just going to be excited again because you're here in my life. God has given me the gift of you and every year I'm just going to be happy about it. And then you hear about two of those people and they're going to get married and you're like, that's exciting. Why? Because there's going to be more people after those two people get married. They're going to make more people. Let's come together and celebrate because why? There's more people coming. You love life. You naturally celebrate life. Where did that come from? Is it something that has just come from Western education and we're so smart and we've got all the universities and our professors have taught us so well? No, just naturally, we love people. You put um, babies to look at each other before they're toddlers and they're not sharing, but if two babies, you put them in front of each other and they're just going to smile. Why? There's another person. People make me happy. We celebrate life. God wants us to celebrate life and be enjoying life and excited about life and excited that we can breathe and excited that we can look at the trees and excited that we can look at the flower and excited that we can look at blue on a church stage and just enjoy the life that God has given to us. John chapter 2. Before we get to that, you know, God has given you taste buds, hasn't he? Why did God give you taste buds? Why did it matter? Couldn't we have just eaten and everything tasted like chicken? And it wouldn't have mattered. Because all, all we would have had to do, we would have just eaten for the sake of our bodies, right? Just so that we can have fuel for our bodies and energy so we can grow and our cells could grow and all those different things. And he could have just given us, you know, just the same thing, just one thing to eat. Did God just give us one thing to eat? No, he gave us so many things to eat and so many things. And he put taste buds in our mouths so we could experience all of those gifts that he has given to us. He's given us ears so that we can hear different sounds and experience different music and enjoy those things. He's given us eyes so that we can look at all of the colors of his creation and look at other people and enjoy other people. John chapter 2, verse 1. On the third day, there was a wedding at Cana in Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus was also invited to the wedding with his disciples. Now, I've got a question for you. Does Jesus have time for weddings? I mean, seriously, come on. Savior of the world, King of kings, Lord of lords. Shouldn't he be studying the Torah or something? Does Jesus have time for any of this? I don't have time for this foolishness with people. People celebrating love and celebrating new people are going to be coming soon after these two people get together. Does Jesus have time for such frivolity? Jesus, not only Jesus, but Jesus and his 12 disciples. Jesus and his team. Shouldn't they be out ministering to people? 
Shouldn't they be out praying for people? Shouldn't they be out giving, feeding the poor? Do they actually have time to enjoy a wedding? Let's continue to read. He was invited with his disciples. Verse 3, when the wine ran out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. So Jesus actually went to this wedding. Can you believe it? And then somehow his mother was involved in this wedding celebration because they, they ran out of wine to drink. Now, when we think about weddings, you know, we're like uh, an all-day Saturday and sometimes weddings are on Fridays now and then it's like a Friday night and a reception thing. But weddings at this time were sometimes week-long festivals. I mean, they really knew how to celebrate. They were celebrating the love of these two people and they were celebrating, a lot of times um, when they would celebrate in ancient times, they weren't just celebrating these two individuals, but they were celebrating that a town or a village or a family was getting stronger that there was more people going to be in the family and the village. And when there's more people in the family and the village, it's stronger. It's better for all of us when there's more people. Because we like people. We like more people. Don't we? Come on now. And so they're there, and Jesus' mother is involved with, you know, the wedding planning. And so they run out of wine. Mary comes to Jesus just like any mother would do to her son. She wants him to do something about this. They have no wine in verse 4. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come, has yet come. His mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now there were six stones of water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, now draw out some and take it to the master of the feast. So they took it. When the master of the feast tasted the water, now become wine, and did not know where it came from. And the servants who had drawn the water knew. The master of the feast called the bridegroom. The master of the feast is like what we would call like an MC, like someone who's like making sure the wedding moves forward. And he said to him, everyone serves the good wine first. And when they, people have drunk freely, the poor wine. But you have kept the good wine until now. Verse 11, this was the first of his signs Jesus did at Cana in Galilee. And manifested his glory and his disciples believed in him. Now this is an amazing story. That this wedding, that this wedding, this social embarrassment that was about to happen, because if you're going to have a week-long feast, you don't want to run out of beverages for your guests. Have you ever run out of something? You had a party, and you run out of something, and what's happening if you run out of something? You know, somebody in the family is like, you need to run to the store quick, because we've run out of something. And it's kind of a social embarrassment thing. And so much so in this time when they're having a week-long feast and they ran out like halfway through the feast. And Jesus is choosing this thing to do a miracle that's going to manifest his glory. Which is a really interesting phrase. Manifest his glory. Now the Gospel of John is written in such a way. It's written by John, one of Jesus' closest disciples. And the purpose of the Gospel of John is to emphasize the deity of Jesus, to emphasize the fact that Jesus is 
the Son of God. And so in the Gospel of John, we have the seven I am statements. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the good shepherd. You know, all those statements and why those are important. Because you remember when Moses met with God in the burning bush, he said, who shall I say sent me? And he said, I am sent me. So when Jesus makes these I am statements in the Gospel of John, he's emphasizing his deity. So he has seven of those and then he has seven miracles. Once again, the number of perfection. And he's emphasizing the deity of Jesus, John is, in the Gospel of John. And here, at the end of this miracle, John is saying that Jesus is manifesting his glory. The glory of Jesus, not the glory of God here in this moment. But the glory of Jesus, emphasizing that Jesus is God. Because people can't turn water into wine. Have you figured this out so far? I don't know if you've tried, maybe reading this story. But you can't do it. And so this thing manifested, it pointed to the fact that Jesus is God here in the flesh, manifesting his glory. Now, why did Jesus choose this? Why wasn't it a healing? Why wasn't it a blind person? Why wasn't it a leper? Why wasn't it feeding the 5,000? That here Jesus is choosing as this first thing that would manifest his glory, point to the fact that he is God, is sort of like saving somebody from a party ending too early. We're going to have a three-day party instead of a seven-day party. But Jesus saved the day. (laughs) Isn't that amazing? Isn't that something? Now, I'm just reading the Bible with you today. Now, isn't this an amazing choice that Jesus is choosing this thing? But there's so many layers of what's going on in this story. There's so many things. There's so much imagery happening. Why Jesus chose a wedding. Why Jesus chose a place where a bride and a groom are coming together to celebrate their love. And some of the things that Jesus did in the context of this story are amazing. And so we go back to verse 4. It says, uh, woman... Jesus says to his mother, now this is not a term of disrespect. Woman, you know, wasn't mad at his mom or something. He wasn't sitting in this context. Remember when Jesus was on the cross, he said, um, he wanted John to help take care of Mary. And he said, woman, behold your son. And do you remember this? So this is not, this is not Jesus being disrespectful to his mother. And he said to her, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not come yet. It's kind of a strange answer to the question, they've run out of wine Can you do something about this, Jesus? Now, she wasn't necessarily demanding, hey, Jesus, do a miracle or something. She's just letting him know, like I said, like moms do, hey, we forgot this. You need to go get it. You need to do something about this. And then Jesus responds, my hour has not yet come. Now, when Jesus would refer to his hour through the scripture, through the gospels, he would be referring to himself going to the cross. Now, why in the context of this thing is Jesus talking about himself going to the cross? Let's keep reading. Verse 5, his mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, there were six stones of water jars and the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. So Jesus made about 120 to 190 gallons of wine. And apparently they were saying, this was like, hey, this is really good wine. Now, I don't drink wine, so I have no idea how to describe what is good wine and not maybe somebody else will, but I can't. And so here, but Jesus just made like a ton, like probably more than they would need, just 
an overabundance of wine so the party wouldn't stop. So that they could keep celebrating this wedding. They could keep celebrating with, with this feast. Now, when we think about, you know, wine for us today, it, it could be, you know, um, it could be sort of a thought of as just overindulgence of self. But they are not thinking about wine in that context in the Jewish culture back then. Uh, there, within the Jewish culture, there was talk, you know, we should, we, they shouldn't be drunk and it wasn't good for Jews to get drunk. But it was more about a celebration. Do you understand? This, this wine represented the celebration continuing. The continuing of the celebration. And godly celebration is all about relationships. Godly celebration is all about relationships. Just like we describe, we love people. We intrinsically love people. And the same way with our relationship with God. God loves us. We are supposed to love Him as we've discussed in this series. And there's a wonderful joy that comes from relationship. Specifically, a starting place is our relationship with God. But here Jesus is presiding over this feast. Now, at the end of time, the scripture talks about there is going to be a new heaven and a new earth, that our, that our ultimate destination is not floating somewhere in the clouds and with harps and togas on. This is not the imagery that we have from the scripture about what eternity with God will look like. It talks about the new Jerusalem. It talks about heaven coming down to earth. In other words, that there would be a recreated earth and our ultimate destination is the recreated earth at the end of time. But the scripture gives us a little bit of a description what is going to happen at the end of time. And it's something in the scripture known as the marriage supper of the Lamb. And let's read about it here in Revelation 19. Revelation 19, verse 6. And it says, Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like a roar of many waters, like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God Almighty reigns. So this is after judgment day, and this is, this is the end of time, and this is what it's going to sound like, and this is what it's going to look like. Let us rejoice and exalt and give him glory. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Who is the bride? The scripture tells us that the bride is the church. And it was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen and bright, and bright pure for fine linen and his righteous deeds of the saints. Verse 9, and the angel said to me, write this, blessed are those who invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are true words of God. So what is the imagery that we're getting at the end of time? What does it look like at the end of time? Is it sad and black and white and gray? And let's just stay quiet. No, it's a marriage supper. It is a celebration. When you go to a wedding and then when you go to the reception, you are celebrating. And this is what he, this is the analogy that we're getting from the scripture about God. That what is he going to have at the end of time? That is he going to have a moment of silence for 2,000 years? Because that's what church is all about. It's just being quiet. That's what following God is all about. It's just being quiet and soft. No, sometimes it's good to be quiet and soft. But here, he's describing this marriage supper, this festival, this feast. We see it also in Isaiah 25. It says, On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast 
of rich food. Anybody want to sign up for that? We got a few people over here. What about the rest of you? You don't eat? The rest of you don't like feasting? Is that what you're saying? Who wants to sign up for a God feast? Come on now. This is what God is going to throw this party, people. We want to be there. We want to be part of the party of parties. The party that won't end. Let's read about it. He says, a feast of rich fruit, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich, full, and marrow of aged wine, well-refined. Now, see, if I were to tell you that I were to drink wine, which I don't, see, two things would happen. My mom would be really mad at me. But I'm just saying, like, at this feast, if God pours me a glass of wine, I don't know, I just might have to drink it, and my mom's going to have to be okay with it. So I'll be like, Mom, it's Jesus is pouring me. I don't even know what to say. <laughs> Verse 7, And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread for over all nations. I mean, this is going to be a party and everybody is invited. All of the countries, all of the people from all of the countries are invited. Won't that be a fun party? It's going to be a fun party because why? We love people. We're going to be like, hey, where are you from? And they're going to be like, I'm from this country that you never heard of. And I'm going to be like, awesome, tell me about it. And they're going to have a different skin color than you and they're going to look different than you and you are going to love it. It is going to be a celebration. It's going to be a God celebration at the end of time. Verse 8, and he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. So we have this imagery and it tells us, it explains to us a little bit about life, that God wants us to enjoy life. God wants it. When you enjoy life, you are happy. You are happy. You are excited. Are you excited to be alive? Come on. It's a gift that we have to live on the only inhabitable planet in the solar system. No big deal. You know, it's, it's just earth and it's, there's axes and there's, you know, there's, it's going around the sun and it's, you know, that we have water to drink and all these different things. Yeah, no big deal. Not a big deal that we're alive. It's a big deal. It's amazing. It's a gift. It is something to celebrate. It is something to be happy about, something to be excited about. It is the gift of life. And we know the saddest parts in our life is when somebody that we love and we care about, that the gift of life here on the earth ends, right? And that's the sad moment for us. Why? Because we love life and we love people, but we saw there what happens at that feast that all tears are wiped away. That God wants us to live a life of celebration, appreciating the gifts that he's given to us. And we see this through all of the Old Testament that they would have a feast for this and a feast for this and a feast for this. And why that? They're just celebrating. Celebrating. We love to celebrate. 
We do. We love life. We love life. Christians should be known. One of the things we talked about is about love, but we also should be known for like being happy. We should be happy people. Why? Because there is a celebration coming and we are invited. We should be excited about life. Like, you know, I, I, like I said, I've told you, you know, I've grown up with some Christians. <sighs> and they just had the weight of the world on their shoulders. They were just, you know, they're, they're sad. If they were here today, they'd be upset about the blue lights on our stage. <laughs> this, this, this is not what church looks like. See, I get myself started. See, I feel it. It's coming up. The, the, the weight, they're burdened with the fact that they're free from sin. They're burdened with the fact that they have a relationship with the creator of the universe. They're, they're, they're burdened. They're, they're, it's like we would say that like they're dipped in pickle juice. And, and they carry upon themselves. And you see them on Facebook and social media. They carry on themselves, listen, the sins of the world and they're mad that the world is getting darker and darker and more sinful the scripture already told us that why would you carry the weight of it why are you carrying the weight and somehow you're sad because sinners are sinning the scripture told us they were going to sin but oh it's so dark out in the world and oh i gotta carry it no Jesus carried it. Jesus carried it. You aren't supposed to be burdened down with the sin of the world and what, oh, it's so dark out there. So Jesus carried it so that you don't have to carry it. You don't have to carry the weight of sin. And what good does it do anyway? Because Jesus carried it, then we can love life because we are free from sin. And what? We can be excited about life and then we can go love people and tell them about the gospel, the good news. It's good news. It's good news to follow Jesus. It's good news to know God. It's not sad news, so don't be sad. Good news should make you happy. Oh, I've got to tell you the good news today. I gotta tell you the good news, you know, because my pastor told me I gotta tell you the good news. Now, if you if that's your good news presentation, it's not even worth it. Be excited, be happy. Burdened, burdened down, Christians burdened down and sad and grumpy and complaining. Grumpy about everything. Complaining about this and complaining about this and complaining about this and complaining about this. Listen, I tell you what, enjoying life is so much better than fault finding other Christians and the world and everything that's going on in the world. Why not enjoy life? Why not celebrate the life that God has given to us? 
It is not a burden to know God. It is freedom to know God. It is exciting to know God. It is joy to know God. Be happy. Don't worry. Be happy. Such a better way to live. So in this story, we see some other tremendous imagery. That within what Jesus accomplished when he was here on the earth, that he fulfilled all of the Old Testament. He fulfilled the law on our behalf. He did it for us. And one of the things that he was doing is he was replacing all of the ceremonial things within the Jewish tradition, within Jewish culture, within the law, that he was replacing all of those things the temple system, all of those things, the sacrificial system, with himself. He was replacing all those things. And that's why in this story, we see what did Jesus use to put the water in that he turned into wine? What was it? They were, um, what, they were like tanks for purification rites for the Jews. That's what it said. It was a religious symbol. And then when you, when you were on the way to the temple, there would be these little baths, so to speak. There these little, these tubs, not little, they were big, 20 to 30 gallons, these tubs of water. That what you would do was you would dip in them, symbolically saying, I'm unclean. Now, the, the water wouldn't actually do anything. It is just a way to symbolize, oh, I'm unclean. And so they, all the way up to the temple, there would be these... Um, these things that Jesus used to turn the water into wine and you were dipping them. And you, in other words, saying, I'm unclean. And you would dip in them and you would say it, that I'm unclean. That Jesus is taking those things that are a symbol of religion and he's turning it completely on its ear. Turning it around, replacing it. He's using those things, those religious symbols on purpose. Do you see this? And instead of leaving it water... He's turning it into wine. He's turning it into a celebration. In other words, saying, I am going to do the work. There is a celebration coming. That dipping in these pots won't save you. That dipping in, doing a ceremonial thing, any type of ceremonial thing, is not going to change you. Jesus is saying, I. He manifested His glory by turning the water into wine. Another thing that he's doing is that he in, is what he, he's, he's replacing Moses. You, we would say Jesus saying that he would, you heard it said this, and he said, I would say to you. That he was saying that he had greater authority than Moses and the writings of Moses. And then one of the miracles, the beginning miracle, um, when Moses went to set the children of Israel free, they were in Egyptian bondage. He turned the water into blood. Now Jesus is turning water into wine the symbol of celebration, the symbol of a feast, the symbol of a party, that it is completed, that it will be done. Jesus is saying, my hour is not yet here, but he's describing about what it's going to look like when his hour comes, when he goes to the cross. He's going to change it forever. And there will be no more need for these uh, these big pots that, well, I gotta, I, what if we had these outside today? Before church, yeah, I gotta dip in the thing, and I gotta dry off before I go into church. No, it's all gone. Jesus has done it. 
Jesus has done it. Jesus has set you free. He has turned the water into wine. He has completed it for you. It is time to be joyful. It is time to be excited. Knowing that he has done this for us, that we should live our lives in joy. And the last thing here that we would talk about is this idea that all of this takes place at a marriage. All of these things take place at a wedding. And we saw the imagery used at the end of time is that Jesus and God, they are the groom and we are the bride, the bride of Christ. This, image, this imagery of intimacy between us and God. That there is no more need for a priest. There's no more need for a prophet. There's no more need for a king. That we have a relationship with God. There's no, there's no go-between. It's, it's me, and I, and I can have this relationship with God through Jesus. There's no person that I need to go to. There's no anointed person that I need to go to to be able to have a relationship with God. This intimacy is described. He's the groom, and we're the bride. All of this, Jesus, all of these things were on purpose and for a purpose so that we could understand what Jesus is doing and what he is telling us, not just about this wedding in Cana of Galilee, but about the ultimate wedding between God and us, God and his creation, that we would have intimacy with God. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. You know, I've done a bunch of weddings over the years. And, uh, you know, one of the, the things you, you get to do, you know, as the pastor, the uh, officiating the ceremony, uh, you, you sort of stand in the middle and then, you know, the guys are there and, you know, everybody's waiting. And what is everybody waiting for? Everybody's waiting for the bride to show up. And of all of the weddings I've done over the years, you know, the guy is usually like here and I'm here. And then when he sees his bride, I've never seen a groom go, eh. <laughs> Big deal. She's here. I've had a couple grooms go early to get her. They're like, I'm going to get her right now. I'm like, hey, we've got a whole thing we're doing. Relax. We're getting this time. This time. Relax. There's time for everything you want to do. Just not right now. The groom is excited to see his bride. God is excited about you. He loves you. Like a groom loves his bride, that he looks at her with love and he cares about her. He is going to give his life for her. That's how God thinks about you, his bride. How then should you think about life? That my creator loved me so much that he is going to give his life for me. Oh man, life is a celebration. Life is a gift. God has done it for us through Jesus. He is excited to see you. He loves you and he cares about you and he sees you through Jesus and what Jesus has accomplished. And he is not mad at you today. He loves you. 
You, like a groom, loves his bride. Praise God. And this is how God sees us. And this is what we need to know, how God looks at us. And then we look back at him as his bride. In the same way that I've seen grooms and they look and they look with a smile and then, you know, that bride comes around the corner and then she generally starts crying. Why? Because there's her groom. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8 says, But of the Son, he says, your throne, O God, is forever and ever. The scepter of uprightness is the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has anointed you with the oil of gladness beyond your companions. Talking about Jesus, anointed with the oil of gladness. Talking about Jesus. That Jesus would go to weddings and he would go to meals and he would go to these places where they were celebrating life celebrating life excited about living and what did he have everywhere jesus went was he kind of just a sad guy was he kind of the downer at the party was he sitting in the room in the corner just like hey i'm the son of god leave me alone yo you know just don't talk to me no what does it say about him that he had the oil of gladness the oil of gladness glad about life the scripture says the joy of the Lord is our strength and having God's joy isn't about oh I gotta laugh 24 7 no it's about living life with joy every day with joy why because there's gonna be stuff that comes our way that isn't automatically joyful the scripture tells us in James chapter 1, count it all joy. That we're supposed to live, we're supposed to respond with joy. We're supposed to respond with gladness, with a smile on our face. Why? Because the bridegroom has come. That he came and he gave himself for us. And at the end of days, there is going to be a party and there's going to be a feast. And God's going to want to celebrate with you. God wants to celebrate life with you. Life starting right now and life for all eternity. He wants to have a party with you. Don't we want to come? Don't we want to be, yeah, God, I'm, hey, let's celebrate. Let's be joyful people. Let's be excited about what Jesus has accomplished. A few more verses here. Psalm 100. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. With singing. Serve the Lord how? Come on now. Serve the Lord how? With gladness. So let's all just take a practice for a second. Let's just take a gladness practice. Let's just smile for a few seconds. Come on now. Smile at me. Come on. Some of you. Come on. You can, I know you're in church and I know there's blue on the stage, but you can still be glad. Be glad. God wants us to be glad. Serve him how? Gladness, gladness. It has all been accomplished for us 
through Jesus. You being a sad religious person doesn't accomplish anything. You being a sad, grumpy Christian is not a good testimony. Jesus was anointed with the oil of gladness. God says, serve me with gladness. Psalm 51, verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Joy of your salvation. Lordship, I'm going to carry the cross. I'm going to submit my life. I'm going to remove myself from the throne. But there is joy within the same relationship with Jesus. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. If you're like, I know you're talking about joy and you want to be glad and I didn't really want to smile a second ago. This is the prayer that you need to pray. This is the thing that you need to see, that there is joy in serving God. There is joy in salvation. That Jesus is the ultimate master of the feast. And because he drank the sour wine, because he drank the wine of sin, we get to drink the wine of forgiveness. We get to drink the wine of healing. We get to drink the wine of eternal life with God. He is the master of the feast. Praise God. Last thing, then we're done. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Beyond the cross, Jesus saw joy. And what was the joy that he saw? He saw you. As excited as you are about people, God is that much more excited about you. He loves you. You're his people. He loves you. He's interested in you. He is your savior. And he is the master of the feast. Let's just pray this morning. Heavenly Thanks for listening. If you need prayer or would like to share how this message has impacted you, please email info at thecitychurch.ca.